Hey. Hello, everyone. I'm Ashley. And I'm Tania. You're listening to another episode of You I Do. The podcast that is talking about client vendor relationships, decisions, and all that stuff. So we had a wonderful conversation with one of my absolute favorite people from Wedding TikTok, Sean Gray. Talked a little bit about everything when it comes to vendors, choosing your vendors and, you know, the do's and don'ts regarding that. Um, I know we've had conversations like this before, but this time you'll get a different take on it. For sure. You are going to absolutely love our conversation. So we hope you enjoy. Awesome. I'm so, so excited. We have a really wonderful guest with us today. One of my absolute faves. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sean Gray. I'm a wedding planner based in Houston, Texas with over a decade of experience. I own Sean Gray Events, LLC, and I'm super excited to talk to you ladies here on Who I Do. I love the podcast. I love the conversation. So hopefully I can carry on the tradition. Oh, yay. I'm sh- you will. You will. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say <laughs> everything that Ashley told me about you, like, I'm pretty sure that you will be just fine. <laughs> you will fit right on in. So. For sure. <laughs> For those that don't know, I, I guess, met you technically through TikTok. I can't remember sometime within the last six months. And you've just been like everything, whether you're on TikTok or not. Sean just has so much like information from your decade experience, but then also just you've seen so many things and you know how to navigate pretty much everything. I think I told Tania about the Olive Garden story. (laughs) So there's so much like if you're in the middle of your planning process, by all means, follow Sean pretty much everywhere because you're going to learn so much. Like if you love who I do and the episodes we push out, you're definitely going to love Sean. A thousand percent. So so we're so excited to have you. Oh, of course. Of course. We're um, diving into the fun world of client remorse and learning from like those mistakes and those occurrences in the past. And just like, what can we all do moving forward? Because, you know, I think sometimes both sides don't want to take accountability to a certain extent. So it's like we... There's, there's always, you know, her side or one side, that side, and then the truth. So I think there's definitely some truth that can like put us in a better predicament, better space moving forward. We will dive all into that very, very soon. But first, Sean, can you tell us listeners that don't know, like, how did you get into wedding planning? Oh my goodness. I love this story. So I uh, moved to Houston. I'm originally from Texas, but life had taken me to Reno, Nevada, and I had moved to Houston a little over 11 years ago. My parents retired here, and so I wanted the good years left with them, so I moved to Houston 
originally back in Reno, I was a nonprofit and political management. And I thought, well, what about those jobs did I like the most? Because those really aren't fields that you can, you know, move way around the country unless you've built networks and things to that nature. And I hadn't done that yet. So I said, well, it was putting on the galas and the press events. And I thought one day I was tired of just applying for jobs that didn't really fit like a hundred percent of me, even back then, you know, we think of doing things that make us happy or fulfilled. But back then I was like, I'm so tired of reading these job descriptions and they're just not clicking. And so I said, well, what did I like most about those? And that was determined. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to open my own event planning firm. And so I started, then it was Grain Associates events. You know, life happens to everybody. And I kind of um, had to rebrand, but it was Grain Associates events. And I started it um, in November of 2011 and have been going ever since. I didn't even step to a wedding before I event planning company. Really? Yep. But you just had all that experience from the like corporate side of things where it was like kind of an easy transition. And was it easy? You know, it, it was easy for the the sort of black and white on paper purposes. You know, a, a BEO from mm -hmm. a caterer looks the same for a fundraising gala as it does a wedding for by and large. You, you still know how many centerpieces okay. you need for the event. So those areas easy completely. Um, but as we all know, um, weddings are super emotionally charged. And that was that was the new part. And that took some getting used to and dealing with family dynamics and extended family dynamics, because you know, planners are so often the, you know, counselor or unlicensed shrink to help get the couples through <laughs> those times. And I just hadn't been through mm -hmm. any of that before. And there's so many dynamics at play and mm -hmm. you're wearing so many hats, not just planner, you know, like you're dealing with the politics between step parents and parents or like the bride or the groom and X, Y, and Z or vendor stuff, vendor drama that can like pop up you that know, you're not you aware know what? of. I, I, and I think this will tie in nicely, Ashley, but you bring up a really good point. And I think what ends up happening, and this was very easy to transition to make it a business, is while those family dynamics do happen and there's arguments and, you know, well, I'm sure we'll get into it. There's so much that the nearly wed individually goes through over this time that, you know, is heavy and is deep and, and all of those things. As the planner... Any sort of outside distraction or mother of the bride wants this or, you know, fraternity brother wants that, that doesn't, that bounces right off of me because at the end of the day, I answer to the person who signed that contract and no one else. So you can come butter me up, ask me for whatever. But if I know it's in direct conflict of what the person who signed this agreement wants, it's not happening. And that has served me so well over my career. Oh, that's good. Oh, I know you have some stories for us. <laughs> right. That came from a place of like, this actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Sean. All right. <laughs> well, I just. Oh, so now you're going to get me on a. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> you, you all know when it happens. They, they get. Mm -hmm. We're going to. I know. I don't. I want to save it because I want to, I think the conversation will progress well. And so I don't want to get into the good stuff right now. 
Okay. Let's get. Let's, right. let's continue. <laughs> if you want to, this is the fun part. This is the get to know okay. stage. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll now transition into this or that, which is our favorite game we play every week, where we pick between one option or another and explain why. And Sean, because you are our special guest, we're going to okay. let you go first. However, I will say this: this or that is kind of on theme with where we're going tonight. So for some of the questions, think about it from the vendor standpoint. And then for some, you just think about it from your standpoint. So vendors, if you're listening, think of it from your standpoint. Brides, if you're listening, you know, so just wanted to get that out the way. But yeah, Sean, you'll start us off, then it'll be Tania, then it'll be my turn, and then we'll circle back around. So to start... Would you prefer to have the bride that price shops her vendors or the bride that pays her vendors two weeks late? I'm going to say pays vendors two weeks late. Ooh. Okay. Why? If you, if your if the sole, if the sole denominator to choose me is my price, I don't want you. I, 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 I want you mm. to find a vendor who's going to love working with you and going to feel valued in the price that you're willing to pay. I, that's, that's not mm-hmm. me. And so we're already going to get off on the wrong foot. And I don't, I don't want that on my head and heart. And I don't want that on your head and heart of working with somebody who is never going to see you as anything other than somebody who made you devalue yourself in order to work with them. Oh, that's like now. Point. If that is to say, if we want to get into a conversation <laughs> about, you know, I'm a couple hundred dollars off. What can we do? And I look at the proposal and say, Do you need ten vendor appointments? Probably not. I can make that eight. That that turns the package into this. That's different. But if you're just like, mm-hmm. well, Sally Mae's five hundred dollars cheaper. I then then Sally Mae should have been your decision right out the gate. Because if price is what you're motivated to purchase by, then you found it already. And I'm super happy for you, but it's not me. All right. So Tania, what about you from think about this from like the bride perspective? Would you, what type of bride would you rather be? (laughs) (sighs) This one's kind of hard, especially because I've already gone through the process I understand that you need to budget wisely, but the wedding planner, they're essentially the MVPs, you know? So you want a really good wedding planner. (laughs) Um, But then also, you don't want to be two weeks late and on every single invoice. This one's hard. This one's hard because I don't want to be that person that's like, well, if you work with her, you know, you're not going to get paid, you know? I do not want to be that person. And so I think I'm going to be the bride who nitpicks on the vendors, like the budget. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no perfect answer here. You because know, my budget may be, you know, 100000 So, I mean... You know, true, true. <laughs> it could be all of those things. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yes, completely agree. Um, mm-hmm. I think if I had to pick between the price hopping vendor or the late payment, I don't know. I think I might just prefer to be the one that pays late because 
I think also the vendor community is just so small that they like maybe talking amongst themselves, you know, like if you're trying to figure out which planner to go for, or if you're trying to look at the event designer or the DJ or whatever, I don't know. And you're just, all right, you're getting to a certain point to receive the invoices. So there's some information that they have in your, in their system about you already. And if you're waiting for someone, like you're still waiting on the decision to be made. I don't know. Like, I just feel like vendor A could be talking about vendor B like, girl, you know, this one that put in the inquiry, she still hasn't made up her mind. And then maybe they say a little detail. She, you know, she's going to get married at this place on this. Wait a second. Does she blah, 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 blah. And then they pull up and it's the same person. And then now. Yeah. And then they talking about you because you haven't paid them. No, they talk about you because <laughs> you price hopped. You're price shopping. No. And they may feel like, well, I feel like on that end, if you're the one that pays late, you're still going to pay. You're just not on time with it. Whereas the price hopping is, I feel like that's a worse, like, okay. I'm late, but this is why. I feel like you have a rapport with a person at that point, so they can maybe understand that. But if I'm just price hopping, you don't know me. Like, you don't have that much information about me. So you could be talking about me to other vendors that I could be potentially trying to work with. And now they have, they're looking at me in a bad light. That's like how I, that's how I, I take guess, that on. But you're still going to be the bride <laughs> who pays late, so. <laughs> Look, you're going to get your, you, maybe you get more of a tip. Like I'll give you more tip because it's like, late on that too. no, the tip I'm was coming with the I'm, I'm just Girl, playing, I'm just okay. Right. I don't even know why I'm, I'm good. right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm messing around with her. Okay. Anyway, so round two, would you prefer to elope and regret eloping or have a $50,000 wedding and regret having the $50,000 wedding? Ooh, I think that I would rather, and just, and if I kind of like want to have a crystal ball and say, these are why people make either one of those decisions. If I, if I had to choose, I would mm -hmm. rather regret the $50,000 wedding only because I'm probably regretting the elopement because somebody who I later didn't recognize the value in wanting their presence or distance mm. excluded them. Mm. I, those would be the reasons I would think I would regret an elopement. So I would rather regret the $50,000 wedding. That's a really good breakdown of those two in selection. All right, Tania, what about you? I would also regret the 50,000. That's 50,000. Um, <laughs> Y'all already know me, so I know. Yeah. I don't even have to but explain. Because no, we didn't why? let her get it. No, 45. I don't have to explain. Just That's you... fifty thousand. That's a lot of money. Right. Like... Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so you would pick. You would rather regret the fifty thousand dollar wedding over eloping and regretting mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because elopement, I mean, I probably didn't spend fifty thousand. Mm, right. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think I'm on the same page of regretting probably the $50,000 wedding and 
like having it and then regretting it because similar to what you said, Sean, with there's probably somebody that like you wish they were there or, you know, like in that scenario, chances are they were there and, you know, you're just probably regretting like, well, dang, I could have saved X, Y, and Z by going with this vendor instead of this one. Or if I had known about this instead of that, um, it's like, in my mind, I think elopements are like cute when someone else does it, <laughs> you know, like, not my kid. like I've seen, like, I've seen really nice pictures of other people's elopements. And I'm like, that is beautiful. I love that for you. But I just feel like, I don't know, I, I would regret the experience of it all if I would have just eloped instead of having that big celebratory you moment with all if of my can, friends. If, we, if I can be a, a, a client for a moment, mm -hmm. like a, a nearlywed, when I'm touring venues or getting inspiration for other people, I, of course, in my mind, I'm going, would I do this? Mm -hmm. Would I like that? Is there anything in here I would kind of want? And in all of the times I can speak, mm -hmm. one of which it is a small little room, seats about 20 for dinner in the JW Marriott Houston downtown. They found it. It's a historical renovation. They found it while renovating. So it wasn't in any of the plans. It is this gorgeous, mm. original detailing. It's gorgeous. I would build my entire wedding around a 20-person dinner just to have the wedding in that space. So I think that if mm. you really are emotionally connected to getting married on the you know side of the Grand Canyon by helicopter with five people, do it. Like, it, like do whatever kind of speaks to you but yeah. i'm i'm totally with you on the elopements nine times out of ten that's they're cute and i think they're so experiential nine times out of ten but i could never i i don't ever see myself doing one definitely like i had a friend or like someone i went to college with actually i guess i went to college with both of them they got married some mountaintop in like North Carolina, say seven years ago. I don't know how long it was, but I know it was like a good minute ago. And I just thought the photos from that were just so, so beautiful because it was just like his parents, her mom, their officiant and the two of them. And I think they run at like a little cabin or something and had kind of their reception there. And I was like, this is just so beautiful. And also... Ooh, sorry. Also, they're black, which I was like, I don't see that. So like to see like this couple in the middle of the woods, it's like, I think November or something where it's cold because I remember she was wearing a sweater and I'm just like, this is just so beautiful. But then in my head, I'm thinking I would need something else afterwards because I've done that. But then I still want to celebrate with friends, you know, like the, the whole point of the reception, you know, the like turn up of it all. So yeah, no shade. If that's your life, if that's what you want, go for it. But I'm gonna regret it. All right. <laughs> Round three. Would you prefer to select the vendors off the preferred vendor list based on the venue you've selected or just selecting a vendor by word of mouth? That's an easy one. I'm going to say venues preferred vendor list. But it depends on the venue, because if I'm being real with y'all, some of these venues preferred vendor lists are vendors that I 
would never work with. And a lot of times as a planner, I'm forced to, and it does nothing but reinforce the fact that I will never do it again unless I'm working at this venue. And I understand the importance behind the lists from a liability standpoint, from a comfortability of I own my own business, I want to work with my people, I get all of that. But I feel like if a planner who has been in for a minute is coming to you a year in advance being like, can you just consider maybe working with this florist? Like, can I get them ahead of the line or can I, you know, that would make it a lot easier. But right out the gate, I'm going to say if you go on completely word of mouth, you still got to understand that that vibe has to be right when you meet with them. Like, don't just book somebody based off of your friend loved them. That's a good point. Ah, This is hard for me because just off of everything you said, Sean, word of mouth is great, but you have to trust the person where that referral is coming from. And so I wouldn't just listen to anyone. But then also, as you said, the preferred vendor list at these venues, they're not all great. And trust me, I've looked into some of the preferred vendors and I'm like, "Mm, no, they don't really mesh with my style or the price wasn't, you know, there or, you know, like there was no diversity on the team. And so I was like, hmm, yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and find my own. So I think I will go with the referral from a friend because hopefully that referral is a trusted referral. Mm-hmm. All right. I didn't say friend. So you make it fine. Own rules. Well, well, I made it up. <laughs> right. <laughs> I made up my own little rule. That's it's perfectly okay. fine. That's because who am I asking? Fine. A friend. So, or maybe a friend yeah. or maybe an acquaintance, but. It's yeah. fine. Very true. Um, yeah, I think I would probably do the same just for reasons you've already stated, both of you. I think to some of the venues here and some of their preferred vendors are on their website and when you scroll through it's kind of like oh like oh that would be fine if my wedding took place in like 2008 but (laughs) you know like there's some that are just like very very dated or you have some that like automatically they only do like a certain type of wedding or a certain aesthetic and it's like yeah that's not gonna it's not gonna work for me so yeah I'm with y'all on that. All right. Final round. So would you prefer the vendor that responds? So kind of this one, you have to kind of see yourself in both sides. So would you prefer the vendor that responds to your messages one to two weeks late? You know, I did that specifically for you, Sean, or (laughs) the bride that keeps sharing the suggestions and questions based off things she's seen online. Ooh, so my choices are work with a vendor who doesn't want to work with me or um, constantly get berated <laughs> with every new hot wedding thing that they see on social media, right? I think since exactly I'm that. on TikTok as much as I am, I have a bit of a problem. I'm going to say that I would be able to navigate that better than constantly getting berated by the client as to why I can't get a response out of these vendors because now I'm in a situation where they're all responding one to two weeks late. I like that. All right, Tania. I'd rather be the bride who annoys their vendor. (laughs) That makes sense. Because don't respond to me one to two weeks later, even though I've done it, but not, well, not two weeks, but you know, but I've, I've replied a couple days late just because 
yeah, anyways. But yeah, yeah, I'd rather be the person to annoy my my vendor and send them stuff and be like, ooh, look at this. Ooh, look at that. Even though I would never do that, but yeah. Yeah, of the two, that's mm-hmm. the better option. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like, why am I paying you if you're not going to respond in a certain time frame? Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me at all. Like, communicate, you know, like, even if something is going on, just communicate that. Like, let me know, hey, family emergency, gonna be out of pocket, or hey, vacation, a wedding coming up, not gonna be, you know, just communicate these things or place it somewhere so I can see it and know, okay, I get back to you or I'll wait till Wednesday. And then, you know, like, you know, you bring up time to respond. We talk a lot about, or we see a lot in marketing from wedding vendors, the word luxury, right? And luxury, an Mm. element of luxury service is proactive communication, not just reactive communication, but Mm. we're just trying to get the needle moved on. Okay. Can you react quickly when eight out of 10 of y'all are out there saying your luxury service, but yet you're waiting three weeks to respond to a client. (laughs) Nothing about that is luxury. And so unilaterally, if you're a wedding vendor watching this podcast, one, you're one of the smart ones Two. It's not the jam to be late to uh, client emails and communication. So stop doing it. Okay. That was, I just wanted that PSA out there. (laughs) That's so true though. There are so many, I I hate the term luxury in weddings just because I feel like it's a certain aesthetic. And we actually had an episode on what luxury actually is last year. Um, And just, like, it was one of the it was one of the episodes I it's like, listened to, and one of the reasons why I just you know that reinforced what how I became a Hugh I Do fan is because that that is a hundred percent right. You have I think what ends up happening is you have too many people that use it, so it dilutes the value of what the service actually is anyway, and then you have a whole host of people out there. Right who are providing it and who are doing it and who are actually a luxury service, but they don't feel like they are because it's not a certain aesthetic. But I think social media is changing that. I really do. I, you know, aesthetic, mm-hmm. the rise of TikTok is really ruining that from like a visual static level. And so hopefully we'll start to see more yeah. of that, especially as more people get into service-oriented businesses. I think you'll start to see guest and customer service satisfaction rise. I really, I, I, cause if not, they're not going to be tolerated anymore because of how quickly the world moves. That's very true. That reminds me of kind of like a conversation we had on TikTok hmm, a few weeks ago about how DIY sometimes is not perceived as a luxury. Like you had a DIY wedding, but you're automatically put into a certain bucket about what that meant. While people, the industry vendors are ignoring the fact that DIY brides can still have a 50,000 plus budget, but they're just taking on certain aspects of their wedding for themselves whether it's a creative thing that they just want to have more ownership on and want to, you know, kind of express their creativity that way, or 
hey, when I looked around, it was about three, four thousand dollars cheaper to buy the flowers from Costco versus going with this floral designer. And we turned it into a flower party with everybody like three, four days before the wedding, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the photographer wasn't an $8,000, you know, like photographer, videographer, or whatever it is, or like that this venue didn't have a certain price point. And so I'm hoping that is the case. Um, just because I feel like as as large as that community is within the wedding industry, they're we probably did it, the most ignored. We or did it though. One of the, the most the wedding ignored. industry itself, the wedding vendors ostracized the DIY community. Um or you know, a a decade ago, probably fifteen to twenty years even, it was viewed as you went DIY because you thought everything was too expensive. And so this was your answer to try to have mm-hmm. what you saw in Pinterest, but do it yourself. And I will tell you, to be very honest, not many people succeeded if that was their approach. Their wedding still looked like a DIY project. But if they were doing it because mm-hmm. they really love doing it, they love doing those projects. It was a way that made their relationship with their wedding party stronger or brought them closer to their relatives. Mm-hmm. Then I applaud them for that. Do that. I now don't see it as a threat and I never saw it as a threat, but I don't like my work being compared mm-hmm. to a DIY approach because it's not. However, if that's what you're going to do, I'm still going to celebrate you at the end of the day if you did it because you're you're emotionally connected to it to some degree. Because also, you're going to put in all that work, and then if it doesn't look the way you thought it was, you know, you're going to have regret. And so I don't want you to have that regret, and you mm-hmm. won't if you really like doing those projects. You know, a lot of businesses came out of the DIY bride a lot of businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the brides who actually did it right. But they're very few. <laughs> they're very few. But you know what? I mean, and this all kind of blends into what we're talking about tonight. But it's like, I mean, when you think about it, we don't need all of this to get married in the first place. <laughs> like at the end of the day, you could go to the courthouse, stand before a judge, and it is done. Everything else is fluff, you know, it's, it's a privilege. It's, it's, it's what society has told us we need to have a wedding that counts or a marriage, you know, to start the marriage, we have to do it this way. And it's like, not really. I mean, COVID kind of allowed us to push back on that a little bit because it's like, okay, at the end of the day, you want to get married. So now you realize you don't have to have all these people. You don't have to have this venue. You don't have to have any of this. You don't even need that dress. Literally the two of you. And then that's it. But now, you know, we're kind of stepping back to how things were before. And we're going back to these whole political thought pieces on what is, what isn't. And yeah, I mean, there are people kind of tying it back to the DIY. And then also the whole point of our conversation, there has been this whole, like, if you don't use vendors, it's because you're being cheap. And if you're going this way, it's because you're not doing your wedding the right way. Where I think part of 
kind of the disconnect that occurs is kind of twofold. One, realizing or the lack of realization that there are some people that you're never going to get. So you shouldn't even try. But then on the other side of it, there is kind of a lack of education of like why a vendor is a good use of your money or why this vendor or versus that vendor is a better, like this vendor actually knows what they're talking about versus this vendor that promised you the moon in a very unrealistic manner. But anywho, um, like we mentioned earlier, we're talking, diving more into kind of a client remorse and kind of client experience. We've had some episodes on that. We recently had an episode where we had two brides that were discussing their vendor remorse. Um, one bride actually had multiple vendor remorse, but we really just kind of focused more on the planner that she was working with at the time. And it's funny because before we were even discussing this, Sean, um, another like friender that's come on the show before, Carrie Ann, a planner in Montreal, she said, like, I bet this would be a great topic to get kind of like the client, the, the client remorse side from vendors. And I was like, do you think vendors would honestly say this is the experience that made me put this policy in place? Or like, this is the experience that I had that I would never want to deal with again, because I think everyone's so like in their head about like, okay, well, if I come out and say that it makes me look bad, but then also other people wouldn't want to work with me where it's like, we're all still human. We all understand that sometimes you end up with working with someone that you didn't want to work with, or, you know, you might've had a vendor that you didn't necessarily want, or in hindsight, you're like, well, if I did this over, I definitely wouldn't pick that person. So it's, it's a real feeling. Sean, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced some of this, right? Oh yeah. The notion that we always get it right, right from the jump and have nothing but fantastic vendor experiences Mm -hmm. just is not true. You want a bad one? You want like an example of, uh, okay, so the very first time we ever did two weddings same night was a way that it just kind of naturally worked with us. And I'll explain. So we're the in-house at a hotel downtown. If the client has a ceremony and a reception at the hotel and they don't already have a coordinator, we're already built into the hotel's wedding package. So we absorb that as a day of coordination client. So we had one of those going on. And then I had kind of a more curated wedding in another part of town. But though my wedding parties just happened to be staying at the same hotel where we had a, a day up. So my, my event lead at the hotel could get my wedding party up off the ground and shipped over to me and I could focus on curating the wedding that I was doing. So her photo booth shows up and it shows up 30 minutes late and it shows up inoperable. The monitor isn't working. Mm. And so they were just fine with saying, oh, so sad. Luckily, I have a really fantastic team. And she was Mm -hmm. not going to let her opportunity as the event lead without Sean around go down in a ball of flames. So after (laughs) several hits and misses, she finally just went to the hotel front desk and took 
one of their front desk monitors and brought it back to the photo booth to make it work. I immediately put that company in a list of vendors that I will never work with and mm. did have an opportunity to work with them again. And the client ended up deciding to forfeit their deposit and take my recommendation once we were brought in because mm. if, and I had to, I had to be honest with that new planning client, but if your planner's telling you they had a horrific ex experience with a vendor, I mean, that's a really bad experience yeah. if your planner's going to say it out loud. That's true, because I feel like y'all try to keep everything from us. No, we don't gatekeep. <laughs> I don't gatekeep. I'm not going to ever say a vendor, and I've been around for so long that those companies aren't even in business anymore. I don't believe so. But I'm never going to say a, a company name out loud in, in that kind of a way, because, you know, that's also... I. I don't ever want to get into a situation where I'm tarnishing somebody, but when asked yeah. about my own experience of would I work with somebody or not, I'll share the experience without giving the vendor name. That makes sense. And they could probably read between the lines. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they listen to who I do, so they'll, they'll learn. The <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. There's so many, I feel like, if you had a wedding with no problem whatsoever, you should play the lottery. Oh, I have tons of weddings that never have a problem. Really? Yeah. Like, even on the other side, where, like, everybody in the wedding party got along, all the vendors did what they needed to do, like... Yeah. I okay, have, so they I exist. Never more, mind. <laughs> I have more. Look, if every, if every single wedding was, like, a scene from Saving Private Ryan, I would never be... <laughs> A wedding planner anymore. I mean, that like, who wants to go through all that turmoil and tragedy and awfulness every single weekend? I, I, I don't sell the ability to shield my clients from a bad, from knowing about a bad experience. I sell my clients on having a premier great guest experience at their own wedding. So that means that everything's planned right, you're using great vendors, etc. Do I have situations where the client's already booked half their vendors or we're partial planners or, you know, timelines run late? Of course I do. But more often than not, I have really great weddings. That's interesting. That That's is, good. yes. A lot of people don't have that same experience. <laughs> even, I feel like, yeah. I'm like, even like the experienced wedding planners out here. Well, unless all their friends, all their close friends were available during a wedding. And of course that bride and groom, you know, or whoever booked them, then I think that's when it goes off smoothly. But I've never heard of a wedding just going off so smoothly, like no drama, no beef, no nothing. And I don't know if that's like a course, we're in Metro Atlanta. And so I feel like Atlanta weddings have its own kind of like reputation, whether it's bad, good, what have you. But I think there's already a lot of interesting personalities and dynamics that are associated with those weddings where it's like, there's probably a higher chance of like some stuff popping off or going awry just because we're already dealing with a different ilk of people. <laughs> I had a wedding two weeks ago where it was awesome. Loved it. 
everything was great. Mm-hmm. It was at a hotel, and there just happened to be a wedding crasher, right? There was a, it was the middle of the reception. He came in, kind of got past the police, and made his way to the bar. And the okay. by the time he got to the bar, of course, hotel staff had already like come over and asked him to leave. It there there was no there was no crazy fanfare. House lights didn't come on. They didn't have to kick him out screaming. But like that was the first time I had a wedding crasher. Um, I think the wedding before that there was a, a, a guest that danced without a shirt on. That was the first time that's happened. Those are crazy like moments. Those are things where it didn't go as planned. It wasn't like the wedding crasher is a negative experience, but what I say, oh my, would I go home and like have to sit in a foot bath because I had a wedding crasher and go, oh my goodness, let me tell you about the crazy day I had. No, it was still a fantastic wedding, albeit for one guy that kind of swayed in two minutes longer than he should have. That's good. I, I just feel like we've heard about so many, so many. I, got, oh. I, I also got, <laughs> like, I got more views on TikTok around stories where things had gone really crazy, like the Olive Garden caterer or like the PI mm-hmm. that I had to hire to get the photographer's images back. So I've been through my share of like craziness, but the good still outweigh the bad after all those. That's good. Yeah. Something about TikTok loves negative videos or like things that went wrong. Um, don't really understand why. I think that's even an algorithm thing. I but, love the tea. I'm here for it. <laughs> but what do you think, like, in your experience, based on, like, the couples you've worked with and um, even other vendors you've worked with, like, what are the common things that occur that make vendors say, this is not the type of client that I want. Like when you're in that consultation phase, are there red flags for you that you're like, this is not going to (laughs) work. And you know, like whether it's an initial phone call or either like, I would imagine more so in the phone call, more so than like an email back and forth. But what are those things that have like, you noticed are like, yeah, no, that's, this is not going to work. Um, when they, come in and have a Pinterest board or an inspiration board, but it crosses seasons. That tells me that their aesthetic isn't defined yet. And yet they already are like wanting to be in a order taker type relationship. And that's, not where I shine as a professional. So I, that's a red flag for me. Like if you're going to dictate exactly what you need from me as a wedding planner, uh, thank you, but um, I'm not the right fit for you. Um, I, I want to say when their budget outmatches their venue inspiration, but that's an unfair one if they haven't price shopped yet because they don't know what things cost. So um, it, mm-hmm. it will matter how they take my guidance in that consultation when they share a budget amount and they share a venue because I've had this happen before. And I have to let them know that, 
on a generalized scale, the percent that you would allocate to the venue is much, much greater needed than what your uh, budget is. Is your budget fluid? Are you pretty set on that amount? Would you sacrifice some things in order to get that venue? And, you know, this has been going on um, on TikTok here. Like last week, I feel like there was a, a, a TikTok bridal bestie or, you know, somebody, a content creator on wedding TikTok had her wedding and it, the, the venue itself just kind of already had a lot of natural ambiance to it. That if you're okay with like, okay, I don't need X amount of decor because I really want this venue. So that can kind of, the ambiance can kind of give me some of that money back. Cool. But if you're like, and I still want everything this way, this way, this way, but I only can spend that much money. I'm not in a position to where I can manage your expectations effectively. And so we're not going to be a fit. So those would be anywhere where I can sniff out that I'm going to have a problem managing expectations. I'm not the right fit for you. That doesn't mean they can't be managed. And that doesn't mean that you won't find somebody who's going to be mm -hmm. a great person for you. I'm just not it. How long will that take you to notice those red flags? Like, is it within the first like meeting? Yeah. In the, in the or, first meeting. Cause uh, uh, okay. we, how okay. I do my consultations is I want to hear how you got engaged. I want to hear about your, your relationship. I want to hear about what you want, what they want, what you're thinking for the wedding. If you've talked to anybody, what your family dynamics are. I want you to talk to me because the, the more information I get out of you, the, quicker we become friends and we can just have a conversation. And then through that conversation, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm already kind of like, oh, it sounds like based off of what you said, you know, Bell Tower would be a good venue for you. Or, you know, you sound perfect for a hotel option. That way I can kind of see if what I'm saying is clicking and vibing with them because I want them to feel good too. I have, I have had two cancellations in my 11 years. So I don't, I'm even kind of not, like, I don't get a lot of couples who have remorse about their decision around hiring us or a planner in general or whatever. So I, I, I really, I really value my ability to kind of sense if we're going to click in, in that first meeting with all of the supplemental, you know, phone call emails that we share between that time. Okay. Two cancellations. That's really good. That is. Yeah. Wow. Thinking about from the bride standpoint, why do you think we sometimes find ourselves with a vendor that we don't like or we don't necessarily want down the line? I, I would I would say that budget is probably the biggest determining factor of that. You you book somebody mm -hmm. because they were within your budget and they their package mm -hmm. had everything that you wanted. And then as time went mm -hmm. on, um, you found out that it maybe wasn't everything that you wanted or it wasn't what you thought you had signed up for. And so that kind of causes uh, remorse. I, I really think vendors' mm -hmm. inability to communicate effectively and quickly with their clients is a big reason. I have a 18-hour um, response guarantee under any circumstances uh, for text and email because I recognized very early on that I didn't want a, a client to email me at 5 o'clock in the evening, right? Well, that's outside of my office hours, pretend. That was 2012. This is 2022. 
do you not think that <laughs> no, ain't nobody checking their email between 5 p.m. and 11 p.m.? You are lying. And so right. if I'm already checking my email, and if I read that email, why can't I answer it if it's an answer I can spout off? Why do I have to arbitrarily just throw it on my task list in the morning? Why make her or that client go to bed with a question still mm-hmm. on her mind. If I'm the planner who's supposed to ease all this and be all that and be whatever, then I need to make sure that right. unless my eyelids are shut and I will not look at my phone, then I can respond to you. And I've never looked at that as a as a like, oh, I'm chained to my work or whatever. Because my clients through a expectations conversation also understands that if I am communicating with them after say seven o'clock, they've got to recognize that I'm a human being with a life too. So if you hear something in the background, yeah, I'm at the club. What do you want? If you, you know, if you, if, if I slur <laughs> a text message, I'm watching the game. Like I'm still giving you the information in a quickly, right. in a quick amount of time. So I do think Think, I think it's I think it's budget and I think it's vendor response time are the two leading factors. I think that might have been one of the first videos. I think I saw a video that you had where you broke down like basically your window of you are responding to every client within this window of time. And I was just like, <laughs> because there are so many that feel like and I just even think like work work like uh this job i had two jobs ago there was one coworker that was like i refuse to put like outlook or gmail or whatever it was i refuse to put this on my phone because i do not want anyone to have access to me after work and i'm like i understood where she was coming from but i'm like at the same time sometimes someone just has like a thought off the top of their mind that's like i'm gonna forget this if i ask you in the morning or i'm going to maybe forget why this came up if i bring it up later but if i shoot this off now no big deal but then i do understand that there are people that like don't have boundaries and they won't respect that. But by large, when it comes to wedding planning, we have a question that we need you to answer because we can't really answer or we could try, but we're not 100% sure that our answer is the answer it should be. So we need you to respond in a timely manner, like, and set, the, set those expectations up from jump. I think that's another thing too, where like, it may be all fun and games in the beginning because it's like, yeah, there's a lot that's going on, especially when it's a planner or something where it's like, yeah, I need to get this information from you. I need to know this. You know, we need to get all this stuff set up. But then there's that lull period where all you're doing is just paying people. And so you may have a question here or there, but your wedding isn't for another five months. So you're not as important as my client that's six months, six weeks from her wedding or, you know, is like closing the invitation window. And so, and you're dealing with the RSVP management of that. So that's, that's kind of where my mind just took me with that. I, I don't understand how, if you have like a 24 hour or even a, even a 18, you're, 
your that response guarantee still allows you the freedom to not be interrupted, right? If they hit you up after five o'clock, then they are rightfully put on your morning schedule and you will address it then and everybody's mm-hmm. fine. And if you communicate that to your client ahead of time, that you have that response time in there, then your client can't get upset with you either. And also over deliver by not making your client wait until the minute before your response time guarantee expires either, that'll allow you some leash when life happens, when you have something that's insurmountable that takes you away from being able to be so quickly rapid fire. If you're able to protect all of that, like you said, from the jump, it just sets up a better experience. And those TikToks got some really interesting replies back. There was some really defensive about like, well, you know, if I'm at a wedding and blah, I don't think there's a client out there planning her wedding that doesn't understand it's going to be incredibly difficult to reach a wedding vendor Friday afternoon through Monday morning. It's they because you wouldn't right. want our attention diverted off of you on your wedding weekend either. So you're going to be more okay with that. However, if you send an email Tuesday at 9am and you're not getting a response until like the following the following Thursday like not two days but nine days <laughs> Ooh, that is a problem. that's a problem that is a problem that affects all of us this is taking me back to <laughs> last year um and all the feels anywho so Why do you think, though, that vendors sometimes, so the opposite, why do you think sometimes vendors take on clients they don't necessarily like? Because as entrepreneurs, we're and business owners and operators, we're on a a wheel that just kind of never ends. And what ends up happening (laughs) is the wheel just gets bigger, which is cool, but it still spins the same direction. And you have, you know operating expenses that you need and it's a slow time and the sun's hitting the clouds just the right way and that client walks through that door on that you know one afternoon and you just you're you're so into needing to sign a client that you got one and cool and you sacrifice so much Mm -hmm. of what brought you into this industry to begin with when you start doing that as a habit because we all do it it happens to all of us but as a habit that you start to you start to lose the the passion that you have I feel like because what you're doing is not what you're set out what you set out to do. That makes sense. Bills still have to get paid, right? Like it doesn't matter. Well, it could be a referral from Ooh. a colleague, you know, it could be the DJ that you work with every weekend his sister's getting married and so they and and you want to protect that working relationships. So you, okay, I'll take them on. You know, at least this person will protect me. And then it's like, well, you're on your own. That happens too. But yeah, Mm. that's a good point. I didn't think about it from that angle. (laughs) But I also feel like vendors have like a quota, like they will only take, you know, two weddings a month or, or even three weddings a month. Um, I have a, um, a vendor friend who took on too many, at one time and you know, she definitely regretted that. So now she, you know, has now said, okay, I'm only going to take one wedding a month or, um, or maybe it's two, I think. But I mean, but a lot of people have put, you know, their limitations on, you know, of course you're taking on a lot, 
you know, so that's, that's why a team point is important too, about um, mm-hmm. having the remorse when you uh, take on too much. Cause that can happen. That's a good point. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think after 2020, some more so 21, I think a little bit in this year, but definitely the last year, we were seeing so many vendors that are like, at the end of the year, like, whew, I am through. Like, oh, I might have worked, say, 30 weddings in 2020 or like 30 weddings in 2019 and then maybe 20 in 2020. But then I worked like 60 in 21 and everyone's just like exhausted and or on the client side like i remember last year before like we had an episode about um kind of vendor remorse but a client like the planner was talking to us about like okay what happens when we (laughs) realize that we have vendor remorse so we were having that conversation and we reached out to like some of our listeners like hey do you have any questions or any like situations you kind of want us to cover and a lot of it seemed to be tied back to vendors taking on way too much to overcompensate for the lack the year before. And that meant everything from like delaying communication, engagement photos coming back months late, um, just not hearing things or not fully getting what was invested. It's just I don't know. I'm hoping we're at a better place now, like moving into 23, where it's like, okay, we're aware (laughs) of the, like, we're kind of coming down from that a little bit. We're still going to have some of this pandemic influx or, you know, the effects of it next year. But hopefully we're in a better place so that on both sides, we're not feeling so, you know, like regretful overall. But that made me also think, is it also kind of this mental rush though? Like in, in by rush, I mean like a timeline in place where, and this is of course more of the client side of thinking you have to get certain vendors by a certain time frame. So I know we hear of like couples that are like, Oh, we got married, like engaged and married in three months or like five months, six months. We did all this in a quick turnaround, but Last year, of course, because of the COVID, we kept hearing that like 21, 22 is going to be an influx of weddings because we're returning. But then also there are certain like vendors that's like, you can't do anything if you don't have a venue. So then you're just kind of stuck. You're sitting, you know, duck until you have that plan or that locked in, but then you can't get everything else. So let me rush and just lock myself into this. And then it's like, well, dang, I wish I kind of would have taking my time because now I realize there's a venue up the street that I actually like better, or there's a makeup artist that did, you know, my makeup for my best friend's wedding. And I was in that wedding and I love that makeup artist better. And I didn't really like the trial from this, you know, like, yeah, that be I a think factor what you're too? describing is like a false sense of urgency almost. Is that kind of what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Where we mm-hmm. box it in to mm-hmm. where like, okay, you have to book your venue at this 
point in time and you really can't get any of this until you book your venue so you better book your venue and then if you're up against like maybe you have a popular date or a popular month and it's hard to find a venue well then you just drag and you feel like oh my goodness I, sh I should have had this book three weeks ago and now all these people are going to book up and I'm going to be without I, I don't know I think if there's a conversation where you're really worried about a DJ or a florist or a band or whatever, and you think they're you think that mm -hmm. you kind of know what you want, but your venue might dictate taking it in another direction or whatever. I would just have a conversation with that vendor and mm -hmm. be like, you don't understand. Out of all these crazies, you're the only one that I want to, that I know that I like I'm having my emotional connection to you. So why can I just not book you? And if you have a conversation like that, maybe there's like a special deposit or a base package that they can initially book you under. And then you can kind of expand it out once you have your venue locked in. Because it's so unfair mm. to put you on that timeline and immediately out of the gate, you think you're doing something wrong just because you can't find a venue you want to pick this week. That's a good point. I didn't even think about it like that, but you're absolutely right. But isn't that hard? Because every like uh, like a lot of the vendors like they want to know the date. They want to know where you're going to get married. And of course, you don't have a date unless you have a venue. I mean, but I understand what you're saying, and I wish it worked that way. But I know that like a lot of my vendors like they were always focused on okay, so what is your date? Um, I have something else going on that day, so I'm so sorry. Here are some recommendations for you you know, for my friend or whatever. Um, so I get what you're saying. So if you know, difficult. like if you get proposed to and you know you're getting married, you, you do we just want to call it like the traditional year from now is what, like next July or something? Yeah. You at yeah, least know mm -hmm. the season. You at least know the month. I guess my question would be if if you can't, get anything until you get your venue, then really focus your inspiration and vendor scouting and research and don't be influ don't don't fall in love with anything until you fall in love with your venue because you're not going to be able to book any of your other vendors. And so to save yourself the heartache, much in the same way that like when we try on uh, wedding gowns, I don't necessarily pull anything I know is going to be over your budget. Don't look at a vendor until you know you can book them yet just to save yourself from getting that no or that rejection because then nobody knows what your timeline is. No, nobody, you know, just, just focus on finding a venue so that at least that comes with your venue and your date. And then if you need to hold on on catering or whatever, you can then go swoop and get some of these other supplemental vendors into your wedding once you have those two things done. You know, That's when I was planning, everyone wanted to know, okay, so what's your date? Like, okay, cool. Okay, y'all got engaged, but do you have a date? And where are you getting married? So I was like, dang, I gotta do all that. All right, well, and I have let to, me go find this venue. And I have to <laughs> let me go find this date. Often, like with us, it's, um, you know, we have like a, we have a month or a season, but we can't get into the venue without, or we, we need a, we need a venue before we have a date. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't ever, because I like having it when I have the whole package. So I'm, I'm okay without a date because there's a, this is a good, this is a good follow up. There's also a little like 
if signing with us without a wedding date, please know we get right of refusal if our, if that date is already booked or whatever. So say we go tour a venue and mm. they've only got this Saturday and you've had a, you've purchased a package that's exclusive where I'm going to be on your wedding day, then you have to you can't pick that date because I'm already exclusively somebody else's on that wedding day. Mm. So you have to change your date because you've already and that's why I in. always tell them, you've got me up until the day anyway. And by then, you're going to meet so-and-so two or three times. And they're cut from the same cloth. So you're you're going to be well taken care of. I have, I have you until the day itself. So I really try to... And, in fact, I don't, that's a good, that's a good point. Cause I don't sell me without, like, I don't sell me until I know that it's available if their venue's available. So this was a completely moot point. You see how mm-hmm. I just like workshop that in my head. Cause I'm like, why would I talk <laughs> about that? But sometimes you have to talk it out. But, but I want the venue tours and my clients do knowing that they have the team so they don't get the Sean exclusive until after they book the venue. So while they're still having their wedding planned by us, if you want me on your wedding day and I have another wedding, then it's gotta be it's gotta be an exclusive add-on on your package. But like I said, mm. that comes that rarely do I get inquiries for days I'm already booked. Not even like those really popular dates, like what was the other but date? 10, 22, dates, 22? Add on right away. Like those are also dates where the venue is not gotcha. determined above the date. They want to get married on that date, so they'll find a venue that's open. That's mm, mm. that's true. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Mm. I'm a 10, 20, 20, 10, 10, 20, 20. So I like completely, that. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of the popular Oh my ones here. gosh, yes. Like... So we started planning about three, four months before getting engaged because we knew we wanted that date. But when we started having those conversations, everyone was like, oh, yeah, any date in October is booked. And then when we had to postpone because of COVID, we were like, oh, you know, let's try again October. Like it's a month and some change away. And they're like, nope. This has already been like kind of locked up for two years. So it's like, okay, October is huge. I think September and early November mm-hmm. are starting to be kind of big months here too. But I think like April, I think is starting to be kind of a, like on the other side of things, like no. the summer is not it anymore. I don't think people are getting married in the summer like they used to. It's either like spring or fall. And I think for us, it's us mostly do. because of the weather like realistically it used to be it used to be april and october were really popular because in houston they're similar in like temperature and climate um because you start getting into june or july Mm -hmm. and that's that you're you're torturing people to sit outside for a wedding ceremony seriously ed and i thought about at one point when we had to postpone we're like oh we'll do it in july of 21 because we were like oh that's around the time we met it'll be perfect it'll be like five days or five years off almost from the day perfect and then start looking around and i'm like oh it's gonna be hot (laughs) it's gonna be so hot and then we end up having to like move it because uh we lost the venue but it was just like why actually like it's not cheaper in the middle of the summer. It's going to be really, really hot. But anyway, it didn't work out. We did November and that was perfect. But yeah, yeah. I'm so happy I did mine in April. 
because I was I was so worried about like me mm-hmm. sweating because I sweat. And so I was like, I'm so worried. <laughs> like my it was like a good breeze go. outside. Yes. And it was cool, even though like I was cold, but everyone was like, you'd rather be cold than hot to me. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. So mm-hmm. it was like the perfect, it was still cold outside. Oh, it was like good 60, 60 degrees. It was nippy, yeah. Yeah, it was a little nippy, but you know, <laughs> we <laughs> made it. <laughs> we, we made it. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you're right. I didn't. <laughs> oh my gosh all right so a few more questions um so kind of switching now to the impact of social media friends family all those things how have you seen or what do you think has been like that impact of like the influences of just overall like wedding planning in general, selecting certain vendors or not selecting certain vendors, going with certain trends or not going with trends, I all those things. I actually think social media has been good for the wedding industry because for so long, a very small few amount of people controlled what wedding content was actually getting shown in a sort of mass way. And I think especially with TikTok and for what I as a layman view is sort of a change in the game as it relates to algorithms, they've really kind of allowed anybody who's anybody like with a phone to share their story and their message and their wedding and their planning journey, just share it all and let us all be a part of it. And so when you see somebody that is going through a similar situation or that looks like you or that is having the same experience as you, kind of going through this with you, it helps to not feel so insular or cut off from everybody because nobody's ever going to be as excited as you and you're doing this all by yourself and nobody's really giving you any help that means anything. Now you're sort of able to find a community of people who have gone through it or are going through it, delivering it in the same way so that it's more entertaining to be a part of than just let me go write three paragraph mm-hmm. micro blogs on my Facebook page. <laughs> That is very true. We uh, had jazz Mm -hmm. on earlier in the year and it was just like the community that you find online, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, what have you, you feel represented because you're seeing other brides, grooms, just people in general that are experiencing the exact same or very similar wedding experiences where it's like, from the episode we had with jazz, it was more around the people in my lives don't necessarily understand this world that I'm in. That is wedding planning and how it is consuming. And it is what I want to talk about, but they don't really understand it in the way of the wedding that I am trying to execute and plan. So I can't even have these conversations with them, but bride from like eight, States over, you know, that's getting married maybe seven months before I am, she gets it because we're, you know, kind of in the same boat. And I think that's just so great. But it's also like, I don't know, family is still just right there. Like the friends that have been through it sometimes, those are the ones that are like in your ear, whether it they and doesn't necessarily mean that 
they have the same wedding that you're trying to have. Family, for what I've experienced, they see wedding and they don't care that your wedding is taking place 30 years from the last wedding mm-hmm. that was the wedding in their mind. So all of their expertise, all of their experiences and everything like that is based off the wedding from the 90s versus the fact that you are now in the 2020s getting married. Things have changed. Prices have changed. Aesthetics have changed. This is more of an industry now than it was back then. Like, it's it's not, it's not what it used to be. So... It sounds to me like instead of just leaning into celebrating the fact that there is somebody eight states away who you see every single day on this platform, you you're I mean, you've Mm -hmm. got you've got people who got married who are still coming on this platform and playing a weekly game that I'm here for, which is let me guess what today's uh, bride's dress is going to look like and it just allows people <laughs> to feel close because you're right, Ashley, you're not, you're not getting that support at home. Either it's because you don't have it at all, or it's because it's so directly not related to what your experience is today. So we can focus on how mm-hmm. upsetting or not cool that is, and we can kind of live in that. Or we flip on the For You page and go find somebody who's going to get me right away and that I'm going to see more often because I'm not seeing Auntie, Auntie Clara every week. I'm not seeing her every day. I see her <laughs> once every couple of months. I talk to her on the phone right. maybe once a month. So uh, the world is getting smaller, and I think that's a good thing. I agree. Well, we've talked your ear off, I feel like, enough. I could go on and on. I feel like I we'll more than likely just bring you I'm back. Kind of sad it's over already. <laughs> Me too. Do you have any, like, before we just kind of transition into the next segment, do you have any, like, thoughts or advice or any, like, last parting words that you would want to leave any of our listeners? Like, I on think this topic? it's important to understand that with any purchasing decision you make with wedding vendors, it's a big decision. And sometimes it's not always communicated like it's a big decision, but I'm telling you, I know it's a big decision. So don't sign a contract and don't pay nobody no money unless you know absolutely without a doubt that you are going to have a really great experience with this individual. And if a mistake happens or a trip up happens, or there's one thing that you might not see eye to eye on, know that everybody's human. And that might not necessarily be a, oh my goodness, throw up a red flag, something's wrong here. Let me let that remorse start to set in. Just use your intuition. And it's the same intuition that you need to use to guide you before you sign the agreement. You know yourself better than anybody. And that doesn't change when you're planning a wedding. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah, that is very true. If you are kind of on the fence about it, you're going to be on the fence about it later. <laughs> so. And just trust me, like if you if you want to let a vendor go because there's something inside of you that's like mm, this is not going to end well. Trust me, it will not end well. Go it ahead won't. and fire them. <laughs> Yes. Fire them right away. Yes. <laughs> and we've heard with so, your gut. Oh we've my heard gosh. so many of these stories. Yeah. 
All right. <laughs> so now we're going to move into the wedding vendor love. Sean, who would you like to shout out to? I want to shout out um, Cakes by Gina. She's a cake designer here in Houston. She is absolutely fantastic. Her team always does such a great job. And I want to shout them out because she's currently working with me on this like art cake pop installation for this wedding I have in January. And I just really appreciate her taking the time to work that out with me. And so uh, anytime I get to eat cake is always a good time. But, you know, cake, Cakes by Jean is one of, the, one of the good vendors. So that's my vendor love. Oh my gosh, I'm looking at her cakes right now and I'm like, same. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> I want something sweet. Oh my gosh. I wish there was a way for us to like find, like do a spinoff of this show, but it's like a video version where all we do is just oh, like try different wedding. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, how we could turn this into like a cooking show. <laughs> Well, you can get a designer oh my gosh, a so on the podcast and just have them ship a dessert to you before taping, and then you all taste it together on the show. You just gave us an idea, and we will give you credit when that episode happens. <laughs> I mean, I'll be the one eating. I'll be the one getting bigger. <laughs> Tania, like, okay, I would no, just, just say, playing. like, okay, I'm, I'm I would just, just say, playing. like, I can't do chocolate, but... Even if it's like everything else, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I got mm. some tips treats downstairs right now. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, I, there are certain things that my stomach kind of will make. <laughs> and then I'll get a text and say, yeah, my stomach hurts. <laughs> I have not told you my stomach is hurt in a very long time. I'm yeah, very good at purpose. now noticing that. <laughs> Anyway, anyways, anyways, Ashley, who would you like to shout out this week? This week, I am going to shout out a bridal hairstylist that is based in East Orange, New Jersey. Her name is Tyra Renee. She is talented. You can tell because she's done such a variety of hairstyles, beautiful updos, Hollywood waves, natural curls, just literally any type of bridal hairstyle that you could think of, I believe she's done it. So if you are in that area, and I believe she travels because she's also done, I think, a few of the Atlanta Housewives as well. Uh, maybe that was during BravoCon, but regardless, if you're looking for somebody to take your hair up a notch and you are in the East Orange, New Jersey area or Jersey area in general, because she probably travels, like I said, look up Tyra's hair experience on Instagram. E-Y-R-A-S-H-A-I-R-E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. Who are you shouting out this week, Tania? This week, I'm going to shout out Renee. She is a photographer based in the Atlanta area, but of course she travels. Um, Renee does such beautiful, beautiful work. She was one of the second shooters at my wedding. Um, and when I tell you she came through, she came all the way through. She even was, you know, helping the groomsmen sew buttons on their jacket. <laughs> she has fine art photography. So if you are looking for that airy slash photojournalistic type photographer, she is the one. 
look her up. She is so beautiful and she's very, very sweet and you will not regret it at all. So again, uh, you can find her at R-E-N-E-E-J-A-E-L on Instagram and you can find her on her website again at ReneeJael.com. All right. Please look her up. Sean, where can their good people find you if they want to know more, if they want so to first, follow they you can like I do? Connect with me on TikTok. I'm there more than any other platform, and I'm Houston Wedding Planner there. And then if they want to go to <laughs> virtual.seangrayevents.com, they can see our Houston physical wedding planning packages. They can sign up for my course on how to draft a wedding day timeline like a pro and sign up for my email list, which is free. And I even give them five tips to start wedding planning today. So um, yeah, they should definitely sign up for the email list. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, TikTok. I'm all in on short form video. So I, I try to be there every day. Yes. And again, Sean is, if you are new to wedding TikTok, if you are thinking about joining wedding TikTok, TikTok in general, you have to follow Sean. You will not regret it by any means. And I, it's not just me. All the wedding TikTok girls love making Sean. Me blush. Ever wanted to find anyone that has ever been shouted out on this show and all 300 plus wedding vendors that have been shouted out, which is a wild to even think of, but you will be able to find them on find.huidu.com. So if you don't remember what we said, or you're listening to an episode later and you want to look that person up, or maybe you don't remember how to spell their name or what have you. You can always go there and easily find them. So just a little mental note. But Tania, where can people find us? You can find us on huido.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok. And you can find Ashley at Demi Tasha on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me at Bell Sari on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you again. We'll be back. See y'all next week. <laughs>